0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for life. Thank you for your word that does not return void to you, but it accomplishes in what you have sent it, Lord. Thank you that today your word never returns void. And we just bring our hearts to you, Lord, that the ground of our hearts, Lord, for your incorruptible seed, Lord, will, will come in and will produce fruit. It will multiply in our lives and through our lives. Lord, we just take authority over every distraction, every emotional heaviness, every fear, every anxiety, Lord. We thank you this morning that, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher here. You're the <clears throat> spirit of truth. And we ask that you lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going <clears> to <throat> speak on something very simple, hope. Okay, so um, hope is, um, is, is sort of something, you know, sometimes we walk up to people and we say, oh, well, I hope you have a great day. Uh, that's how the world works. But um, there's something much deeper that for us as believers, those who know God, um, that should settle in our hearts. And I'm going to tell you two stories. The one it's actually very fresh off the press. Last night, we, we, there's still a student camp going on They're in Now A lot of students are there. And um, so it's amazing when you <clears throat> plan something, but eventually we just ended up worshiping the Lord. And um, for an hour and a half, we were just on our faces, lying, crying out to God, and uh, singing songs without instruments, uh, just because of the manifest presence of God. Um, and because of, of uh, that freedom of, of the Lord, it's not like because we do a little program and we've decided this or that. Um, and sort of a couple of weeks ago, that's a second story, um, we partner with some of the churches in, in the Middle East and one of the uh, nations, I'm not going to mention the name, but probably the second highest uh, persecuted country uh, in the world, so we are the, it was the monday morning and we connect i uh, connected with this specific pastor that was here in south africa and we spent the morning together and um, <clears throat> then he, he was actually a member of the church many years ago yeah when he was a student um, and then he told me of the stories of what they encounter in the middle east especially in the persecuted church and so one of these stories is normally they would come um, they would go in and then they would meet, not like we can meet today, they would meet under, in a, in a basement somewhere or in a cave in complete darkness so that they don't see the other people uh, for, for in case they get jailed or persecuted, then they won't be able to recognize their other brothers or sisters. So they literally would sit for three or four hours in a cave or somewhere and then just recite scripture and talk and train and teach. And so this pastor was there again last November, and then he, they taught on the Holy Spirit and the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And so they started to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so this, at, when they came to the last guy, the last guy actually began to shine like Moses shone. And so he lit up the whole cave for an hour and a half. And so it was quite tense because now there's a light shining, but it's not a light they switch on. They they don't want to switch off the light. They don't want to say, "Lord, don't, don't," you know, switch switch off the shining, you know, because the guy's face literally shined for an hour and a half. And then they read the scriptures, and then they went from there. So they actually recognized each other and uh, knew that. But that's that's one of those stories of the freedom of God and the fullness of God and and especially because of the Holy Spirit that God has poured out in our lives. Um, There's there's such an expectation that God wants us to have, um, and yet um, we've been speaking the last couple of weeks on on the whole consumer mentality and the culture that we have, that we sometimes fall into comfort zones, and that makes us lose our expectation. Uh, Sometimes it makes us lose our urgency, and therefore your prayer life would um, show you a lot of how urgent you are for God. What, what is, you know, what is that hunger? What is that passion inside of us to really see God? Or do we just add God to our lifestyle? And we say, okay, Lord, this is my plans. This is my stuff. This is my week. And, uh, and please be with me. Um, but that's not true Christianity. I mean, <laughs> true Christianity is a, is a life surrendered to God. And part of that is a a hope. Now listen here in Psalm 42 verse five. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? This is David speaking to himself, to his own soul. He says, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. An amazing scripture, we see how David would many times say, be still my soul and know that he is God. You know, in the times that we're living, especially in the West, did you know that hopelessness and fear and anxiety are one of the two main routes of heavy depression? Uh, we'll walk and look on a campus like ours here in Stellenbosch and they don't want to release the stats, but apparently more than 65% of students here on campus are on, on some sort of medication to help them to cope, just to go through their studies. So... We have to be real about the fact that our society, especially in the West, is sick when we have to start to use other coping mechanisms just to live naturally. Now, for, maybe you think like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I don't use medication. Not that we're belittling people that are use, using medication. It's just like, but for some of us, we escape into other stuff. We, we, we create a space of comfort that is not really real always. But if you are a Christian, reality means is you are a spirit being. And that there's a spiritual world and there's something much deeper that should anchor your life. And it starts with the fact that you are just passing through. I'm just passing through this life. This is not my home. If if you think that this is your home and you live to settle here, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're going to become hopeless and this is what David said when there was a lot of challenges there's two things he says why are you cast down on oh my soul that word for downcast means to sink or depress why why are you sinking into this hole he says why are you because sometimes we feel like that I don't know about you sometimes I've, I get discouraged I think like oh near what am I doing you know what am I doing yeah you know what is like whoa you know Especially when you work with people, sometimes you think like, oh, you know, you want to first kill them and then you need to pray forgiveness and life and love, you know, sometimes it's your own family, but we won't mention any names. So, you know, so downcast is to sink into a hole, you know, and so so David had these opportunities. This great king that worshiped God, he had, he had these times in his life where he says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted? The words for disquiet is to have a... Tumult or a rage or a massive noise in your soul. What is your soul? Your emotions, your mind, your will, your intellect where there's, where there's so much storms going on inside that, that you, know, you, you almost like losing it sometimes, okay? Especially when you start talking to yourself and <coughs> husbands and wives, I won't mention anything. But, so, but, but he sort of commands us, he says, hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. It's hope in God, it's not hope in a breakthrough, it's not hope in things we do, or maybe that, but, and and that's the big difference between hope in the world, and hope, the Christian hope. Hope in the world is like, maybe, I hope that things are going to get better for you, I I hope you're going to have a great day. But if we have Christian hope, it means we are anchored, and it is secure, it is going to happen. It is an absolute Yes hello can I get an amen okay so so I hope you know we can have faith we can have love all those things come together but there's there's something that we should latch on to in Christian open let's let's read some scriptures are you with me They talks here in Hebrews 6 it says this is uh, we don't know actually wrote it some people say it's Paul but the letter is quite different than the other letters he wrote so he says but beloved we are confident of better things concerning you yes Things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. So he says, there's a full assurance of hope, and it's not like we're crossing our fingers and thinking like, oh, maybe Jesus is gonna come, maybe, 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 maybe I'm gonna make it to the end, or maybe I'm not gonna make it, but there's a full assurance of hope. Say, full assurance of hope. Thank you, thank you for your enthusiasm, okay? So there's something, he says, and don't be sluggish, don't, don't forget, because the, the, the question is, what are you latching onto? What is becoming your default? You know, when, when it's tough in your life, when things are going wrong, what, what is that stuff that comes out? Does, does that fullness of Christ manifest, or is there other things, or is it like, yo, you know, all the swear words. Now, now, don't ever think like, well, I don't swear. I remember when I was in, in school, and sort of, I got saved and spirit-filled when I was grade nine already. And so, through this process, one day I was standing there, and I was thinking like, yo, these guys... They all swear, but I never swear, you know? And I, I really, it wasn't part of my vocabulary. And so, so I was thinking that, I remember it was a Tuesday and the Wednesday morning, this one guy slammed the, in front of all these other guys, slammed the do- my finger in the door. And I said a word that I've never used before in my whole life. And everybody went like, They could not believe that it was me. And they're like staring, and I'm thinking like, this is now the worst ever. But the Bible says, don't take pride in your standing, lest you fall, okay? The old King James, lest you falleth into thine trapetheth, okay? It's always like with the at the end, you know? So, but, but there's, there's some stuff, and the question I have for you first personally and for myself is, do we really have a hope? Do, what, what makes you wake up in the morning? What is that thing that sort of gets you excited? Some of us don't like waking up in the morning because the spirit of the okay? So what, what, what makes you at 10 o'clock feel better about yourself, okay? But, but there's, I wish we had time to go to each one of us and ask, but what, what is really that thing that you live for? Is it, is it really God? Have you found that place, that safe space with God, that absolute security, that assurance of hope? It's not just hope, it's an assurance. If I take out insurance, then I'm insuring myself against others. But if I have assurance, I am absolutely convinced. The assurance of hope means I am steadfast, I'm strong in something. So the writer goes on. A couple of verses later, and I love this. He says, this hope we have, this hope we have. Talks about this assurance of hope, this strength, this confidence, this security. Because you know the world out there, and when when we're going to look at, you know, the stuff that people are saying about our country, about this nation, maybe, there are so much fear, and there is so much hopelessness. People just don't have that, they would run against anything, or they try to cling on to stuff. But as Christians, we don't do that because this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Remember what David said, he says, hey, why are you so disquieted? Why is there so much stuff going on in your your soul? Trust in God, hope in God, he says. But this hope gives you an anchor, an anchor of your soul. That when the boat goes like this, there's something that is steadfast and secure. That anchor that, that, is, that is steadfast, and he says, he says it's both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So what many people, I think, teach differently on hope is, they just say hope is this belief, but, but hope is connected to the presence of God, is the manifest presence of God in your life. Because remember that first verse we read? It says that hope connects Maybe just throw that first verse on. Can you do that again? Let's, let's read that. Because we miss it sometimes. It says, For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The countenance is the fact that I see him. And I hope isn't something I stir in me. It's, it's I've seen the picture. And I'm going to give you a practical thing now that you can maybe think of. But so this, these words sure mean safe, secure, certain, stable, firm. It's a force in your life. It's it's God's yes in your life. Can I get an amen? Okay, so we said we, we don't want to be too consumeristic. I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to think right now in your life, what are three things that makes you feel insecure? What What are three things? Maybe it's finances, maybe there's stuff in your life, maybe there's something that's, Really bothering you, maybe it's just about the country. Now I want you just personally, just just between you and yourself, the I, me, and myself, the three of you, I want you to write it down. What are those stuff? Well, just think it out, or if you have your phone, write it down because at the end of the service, we're gonna we're gonna pray over those things and we're gonna say, Lord, and you sometimes need to like David spoke over his soul, you need to speak to those things. Now that's weird, that's what charismatic people do. Well, have you ever heard prophecy? <laughs> it's the fourth tell of the will of God. It's to release the hope of God over a situation. Because, you know, if you wake up with anxiety and stress and stuff, then you cannot see because that's what even in Hebrews late, later on, the writer says, when we run this race, we have to cast down the weights And the sins that so easily ensnare us, that weights that, because some of us, we run, but we have these massive weights on us and it's pulling us down. It's making us sink. And therefore we have to go and look and say, but what, what are those things? Maybe it's trouble in your marriage. Maybe it's like, oh, fear of the future. So write it down quickly. I'm going to give you a minute. And you can keep it like this. Some of you are like writing like this and don't want anybody else next to you to see that. But that's all right. George, can you come and help me here, please? So the picture of a hope is a simple picture. This is a picture of, our, of the offices there in Andringa Street. Where is the architects in the home? They actually drew it. Through it. it was long arms. But so so hope is almost like this. When the a builder is gonna build, there's always an architect's plan. Okay? Stand like that, eh? But there's, there's, there's like a beautiful one like that that they paint and show you, and then you think like oh yeah, that's the, look at the nice trees there on the side, and then they have all these these three D things. But then you get an architect's plan like this with all the measurements, you know? And this is really what, what hope, is. can you see? This is what hope is. Hope means the building and the vision, is, it's fixed. Faith is starting to build of what you've already seen. Faith is every day walking out and taking those stones and starting to build it. When there's nothing in the ground and you start to throw the foundations. But hope is something much bigger. As you've seen the finished product. It's secure. And so the picture of a hope is like an architect's plan of God's plan for your life. And for us as believers. Are, are you tired yet? Okay, then stand there like a half an hour. Okay but I want you to remember this picture because many of us go through life and we think like God hasn't got a plan. We think like maybe we must add to God's plan for the church. Maybe, maybe God has got second options and third options and fourth options and maybe, maybe God panics in heaven. But he says that hope, thanks George, he says that hope is sure and steadfast and it enters the presence of God behind the veil. Just go back one. The hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sheer and steadfast, and which enters the presence, the presence of God behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And if you understand the principle of Melchizedek, Melchizedek was this guy who appeared in the Old Testament, and he was a—it's sort of a Christophany. It's Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And so what happened is Abraham came, and then suddenly this high priest appeared out of nowhere, and then Abraham started to offering, tithes and offerings. You know, so some people say no, tithes and offerings is just the law, but it was actually there long before the law, when Abraham started to give to Abraham, not to to Melchizedek. Sorry, to so. So then suddenly, Abraham starts to offer to this guy, because in the Old Testament already, God started to introduce a new priestly system. And that's why Jesus became this priest, the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So God is not just doing stuff and trying stuff, but Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's got a specific position. He's called the great intercessor. He's called the mediator of the new covenant. As we are sitting here, Jesus is interceding and Jesus is proclaiming what his plan is for your life, for our lives as the church. So suddenly when you and I begin to align ourselves with the forerunner, Jesus that has gone before us, he's made a way, then suddenly we realize like, wow, there's a a eternal hope I'm not just trying to make it through this life, but God has a plan. God has got an architect's plan, and it is finished. And what I do is every day by faith, I apply what he's already given, what he's already said. And the amazing thing is, it just makes me part of this huge story. God's story, it's called history as well, you know, his story. What he's busy doing, it's not our story, it's not like... And, and so he invites us to this. But now what begins to happen, we focus so much on our circumstances. We focus so much on what happens every day. And then we're drawn into these challenges and they are real. And if you don't throw out the anchor, then when the boat begins to go like this, then people run and then we become masters at creating another comfort space. But those comfort stuff becomes our idols. Our idols. But once you have latched onto that eternal hope, that anchor is sure. It's steadfast. And it has entered behind the veil. It means that we are not living just in this realm. Amen? We have direct access to the throne room of God. And so there are these crazy scriptures that later on in Ephesians, it says, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. So suddenly, hope makes us realize that I'm living in another space, God's space. (laughs) And so whatever comes my way, I'm not going to react to it. I'm going to learn to respond because the presence of God is what I live for, is to glorify him. Turn to your neighbor quickly and say, hey, there's a safety and a security in him. Okay, so are you still with me? I'm just picking up speed. Okay, take your, your, um, just go like this. Just take left shoulder and go down, okay. Fasten your seatbelt. Okay, Hebrews 11 verse one. Now faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. God has not called us to live primarily by what we see naturally, but by what we see spiritually. And our problem in the West especially is that we have a dualism. We have a natural world and a spiritual world. So tomorrow morning when you walk into your workspace, then you think like, no, God isn't involved there because these are just natural things. But with God, everything is spiritual. I mean, and if you and I latch onto that, then suddenly my workspace become my ministry space, become my place where I can connect with God and not just invite God to, but he's there as well. In my family everywhere, then it's not like, hey, we are going to the church on Sunday. No, we are the church. We are going to just celebrate on Sunday what God has done church-wise the whole week. But see, if we are trapped in a cultural Christianity, because I'm going to church on Sunday, then I can switch God off during the week because I just operate in the natural, and then I wanna invite the spiritual to come into the natural, well, if you're a Christian, you are firstly primarily a spiritual being. I mean? Some people are frowning and thinking like, what is he saying, yeah? But we are so far removed from a biblical culture because we switch God on or off. And then we say, well, I'm gonna have a quiet time this morning and that's going to be God's space. But for the rest of the day, I'm on my own. <laughs> and I'm not talking like of people that have these spiritual antennas that just like shandai, shandai all day and just like, like walk around, you know, don't do their work. Because some people are so heavenly minded that they're of, spir- of, of earthly no use, they say, you know. So be of earthly use. <laughs> but where does the kingdom come? And Jesus was, the disciples started to ask this question because they started to think like, These things doesn't make sense all the time, you know. So they started to ask him, where's the kingdom? Lord, where's the kingdom? We wanna go to the kingdom. Show us, are you gonna lead us out here of Israel and start the kingdom over there and then we're gonna overthrow the Roman Empire and we're gonna rule. And Jesus, if that city doesn't obey you, just call down the lightning. We wanna see the kingdom come in the natural. And then Jesus said the most profound thing, the kingdom is inside of you. The kingdom is inside of you. And so the crazy part is if you walk into your workspace tomorrow morning, the kingdom has come because you have gone there. Now you can hide the kingdom because the kingdom is just very simply is where Jesus rules and where he reigns. And so, so, Our change, our challenge is when we talk about hope, when we talk about spiritual things, Is like, I don't invite God into my life. He invites me into what he is doing. Then the kingdom comes. And so it says here that, that, that faith is the substance of those things hoped for. It's because I'm anchored in another place. I'm anchored behind the veil. I have this freedom. There's evidence of things not seen. Huh? No, 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 no. We are an attorney. not? is an attorney. Put down the evidence. But how many of us have got spiritual evidence of God's goodness? There's a lot of evidence in your life. There's a lot of stuff, but it's of the things not seen. So if somebody walks up to me and say, hey, no, God doesn't exist. I just say, sorry, guy. There's nothing, no intellectual argument you're going to throw at me. Because my whole life, the fact that I can stand here and speak to you today is an evidence of God's freedom. Because I stuttered. I could not speak two sentences without stuttering and then run a mile when people was there. So the fact that I can speak to you today is a miracle for me. So every time I stand up here, I say, Lord, I can't do it. Because you know what? I never dreamt ever that I would speak in front of people. I couldn't even speak to one or two at the same time. Because when you stutter, you always think like, what are you are going to say next? And when you say it, by the time you say it, you get the guts to say it, then the people have already moved on in the conversation. So you rather keep quiet. It's really like that. So you just keep quiet and withdraw. So what a sense of humor God has when I got saved and he told me, you're going to speak in front of other people and you're going to preach my gospel in lots of nations and you're going to get no glory. I was laughing. I was thinking like, what? <laughs> get behind me. <laughs> but just God calls us to the supernatural, to a, to, a, to a space and it's very uncomfortable because it means you and I can't be in control. The problem with hopelessness, Why we are so hopelessness and why there's so much fear is because we become masters to control our environment. And control is one of your biggest enemies. Because it creates a comfort space so that we don't get hurt anymore. A lot of people are hurt and broken. So what I do is I begin to control my environment. So that I can determine the outcome. But faith and hope works completely different. Even God's love. It says God's love is unconditional. Now, we don't know that type of love. No conditions attached. No conditions attached to his love. Whoa. Now, the Bible says God is a God of hope. Romans 15 verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Biblical hope, John Piper says, is not only desire something good for the future, but it it expects it to happen. But Romans 15 says here that God wants to fill us with a hope and a joy, with a peace and a joy in believing that you may abound in hope. So you grow in the fullness of this realm that you start to live in by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it in yourself. You can't like psych yourself up and say, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be sure, I'm, I'm gonna have this hope, I'm gonna stand in faith and you have faith in faith. <laughs> no, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to draw you into that space. Because what makes that group of believers there in that little cave gathered together, it's they've, they've seen. <laughs> They know, practically their life is hell. But that gives you a joy and a peace beyond your circumstances. We first want to have the joy and the peace and then serve God. And God says, no, I'm gonna take you to a space where you're not comfortable, where you're not in control. And in that you're gonna find my joy and my peace. And that's in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. What are we hoping for? Just let me give you a couple of scriptures and then we're gonna pray. The appearing of Jesus Christ, Titus says this, the redemption of our bodies, the consummation of our righteousness, sharing the glory of God one day. Most of the hopes are in in, in eternal things, not natural things. It's not just promises of, oh, I hope that God is gonna answer the prayer. (laughs) I hope God is gonna give me that car that I need or what. But it's in eternity, it's in a longing for Christ. And to be part of a bridegroom that is pure, holy, spotless, without blemish, that's preparing herself. There's a, there's a hope that is coming again. Do you know the first church, they greeted each other, not by saying hello and goodbye, they said, Maranatha. Maranatha. Our Lord Jesus come. Some say, our Lord Jesus come soon. That's how the church greeted each other because they were living in a space that maybe tonight Jesus is going to come back. How are you living? How am I living? And how would we live differently if you knew that Jesus was going to come back tonight? Just just think about it. Question quickly. I'm going to ask you to tell your neighbor. What would you do differently if you knew Jesus was going to come back tonight at 12 o'clock. What would you do differently today? Quickly. Tell somebody, just quickly, next to you. what? How would you live, live differently? This one guy in front said, I'll take out all the steak and pride this afternoon and make sure I get all the meat. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. It was just a joke. Why is everybody looking at you, Socks? Just because you're laughing the loudest, okay? And you like meat. I, th- I think a lot of us will probably use the excuse, well, well, no, we need to be good stewards. We need to really manage our stuff well. And that is very biblical. But sometimes we use the excuse of management and of stewardship instead of an urgency for what really matters. And that is the condition of our hearts. A couple of us would probably repent, (laughs) make sure that our lives are ready and just make sure that all the sin is out so that when Jesus comes, we're ready. We actually had a funny story there. I come from Caledon, you know, and there's this big valley that, that, that the farm that I grew up in was, and so there were a lot of older people and so that lives there in farmers, and so many years ago, we got this phone call that there's really trouble. It's the end times. It's ready today, because what happened is one of the tunnies was walking out on, on a farm uh, and then she saw in the clouds this massive round thing the circle with the lights in and she thought, she thought okay this is it and so many of the people actually went back home they dressed in white they sat and took communion they really thought it was the end you know um, some hid in their bedrooms with a gun you know because they wanted the one lady said um, she's, she's really going to make sure that that nobody beams her up, you know, beaming up Scotty was those days was big, you know, they're like going up into heaven and it was like flying sorcerers and all that stuff. But it's amazing how people reacted, you know, eventually they found out that it was the Caledon Casino that opened up and because of the lights there, it went into the clouds and, it, and it, the lights shone into the valley where they lived, you know, they realized like it's, but it was amazing to hear the stories of what people did when they were not in control. You know, because it was apparently very real, these lights that came up and down in the clouds. You know, and they thought, okay, this is it. This is too big for for just, you know, a kid playing with a spotlight, you know. But to hear all the stories of what people do, you know, they say the same when, when there's an earthquake and everything begins to shake, when there's no more stability, then some people lose their heads, their minds. Because we're so creatures of comfort. We're so creatures that, We like stable things. And yet the Bible says very clear that nothing in this world that we'll find in this world will give you stability or security. Only God. That's where hope comes from. That's what we hope for is that there will be a day when Christ comes to take all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the tears away. And what is that longing in your heart? What is that longing in my heart? You know, what what are the fruits of hope? It bears joy or love. Brings a great boldness. And great endurance. Gives you a spiritual stamina. Because you're focusing on the right things. So if Jesus would come back tonight at 12, do you know what? Most of us would probably first check our own hearts and the condition of our hearts. But secondly, we'll probably phone all the people in our families that do not know the Lord. There'll be an urgency to share his message. Suddenly, earthly things would not really, it's not like we're gonna go home quickly and fix our homes and do our gardens and prepare everything so that when Jesus comes, you know, he'll say, whew, nice garden, you know? You did well with the water problem in the Cape, you know? You saved a lot of water, you know? I'm so proud of you, you know? There's a lot of stuff that will suddenly shift And most of it will be because we have family members that do not know Jesus. We'll have a neighbor that we'll walk over to and say, do you know what? There's six hours left in this earth. And I'm not saying like, hey, don't be naturally minded today. But sometimes we are too naturally minded. Earthly. If you put your roots down here, you are in trouble. Because this world will shake you up. Be good stewards, live life to the fullest when you walk into that job and that's, that job has been given by God but your hope is not in that salary check you're gonna get at the end of the month because God is the one who employs you. God is the one who gives life and that's what hope stirs, that's what an eternal focus stirs and, and that's what should be part of the church and in great parts of the church it is. When you go to Pakistan today, remember there's one pastor We were waiting for him for three or four hours. He was late. And then eventually he arrived. And so I was a bit angry and I was thinking like, sure. And then he said to me the following. He said to me, do you know what? Last night I had a bit of a collision, emotional collision with another pastor in the town in Karachi. But I realized that I will not live for 24 hours if I have bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. So I drove all the way to the other side of Karachi because the Bible says if you go to the altar and you realize that there's somebody else that has got something against you, then stop, leave your gift at the altar and go and make right. Because relationships is a priority. So I drove all the way to the other side of Karachi to just make sure him and his friends Their relationships is pure and open and there's forgiveness. The church's motto there is quite different. Unless you stand together, you die alone. That's the motto of the church. (laughs) We went to a big conference. How to handle persecution in the 20th century. I wonder how many people will pitch if we do that in the West, you know. (laughs) Come to the persecution conference, you know. (laughs) No, oh, no, no, I want to I feel better about myself. I want to be a conqueror. But Jesus said in this life, you will find no joy. You'll find happiness. But there's a joy and a peace that the Holy Spirit wants to work in our hearts with the urgency. So every day when you wake up and you say, God, Lord Jesus, come soon. There's a task at hand. And yes, it may be very practical things. It may be, oh, getting the kids to school. That's very spiritual. Going to work every day, but with a focus to say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know the finished plan. We know there's an architect's plan. That's why we build. That's why we grow. That's why we want to know him. But the challenge is, is we can't see if we just look to the natural and we need the Holy Spirit. You and I need to ask God, God, come and stir within me. Because I've, I've found my roots too much in the stuff. There's a guy, Richard Foster. There's a good book you can read. It's called Celebration of Discipline. And he says the three things. Now, he wrote this book in 1980 for the first time. And he says hurriedness, crowdedness. Busyness and distractions are the things that keep us out of knowing God. Now, that was in 1980 already, 30 years later. Can I ask you, does hurriedness, crowdedness, distractions, are those things part of our lives now? And this is why David says, and I want us to go back to that first scripture. David learned this. He spoke to his soul. Because there's some of us here today that are depressed. And I'm not saying like, hey, it's going to just clear up with one prayer. Maybe it does. But what is the condition of your soul? Some of us, there's so much heaviness in your life that you have lost that urgency, that desire just to live. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you disquieted? Why is there a massive raw inside for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance God's arm is not too short to heal to touch and deliver but your biggest challenge is you my biggest challenge is me I want to be in control I want to I want to create this space for me that is so comfortable so that I don't hear the stuff but then the problem is the noise is still inside This quietness is still here. And this is where God wants to have a peace so that you become not a a Christian doing, but a Christian being. You be. You don't do. Because everything on the outside does not determine who you are. Everything on the inside does. Thank you for listening.